Hello, I'm Susan Cole. And I'm Matthew Hodson. And welcome to AIDS Map Chat, the podcast. This is our Pride special. Yep, um, and we're live now, um, and we've got some wonderful guests coming on the show today. We have Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis of the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Some of you may know him from his Instagram account. If you don't, um, if you have tastes like mine, I heartily recommend it. It will keep you thirsty <laughs> for hours. Uh, we have <laughs> Cecilia Chung. She's a world-famous trans HIV activist. She's based in San Francisco. Uh, um, and uh, she is one of the most powerful trans uh, advocates that we have, and she's going to be fantastic to speak to her. And we have someone who, when the law didn't suit him, he changed it. Jason Jones, he <laughs> successfully challenged the homophobic legislation in Trinidad and Tobago, and he won. So it'd be really exciting to have him on for our very special Pride edition of AIDS Map Chat. So, Matthew, how have things been since we were last on for you? Any changes? Well, my hair's got a bit longer. Um, yeah. This is, yeah, this is, I think, the longest I have been without a haircut since since I was a teenage goth, probably. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, um, so I, I'm starting to develop my lovely little Carol, uh, Carol Brady uh, bits at the back, which I'm really <laughs> enjoying. Um, and um, soon I will be able to walk around with it, covering my eyes, and then I won't have to engage with anyone, which will be super fun. Brilliant. <laughs> How are you doing? How are you doing? How are I, I, I am great. I know lots of our viewers were quite concerned about the absence of fast food for me. But I have to say, since the last show, I have had McDonald's, KFC, Burger King, Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. So um, I am putting on some weight, but I'm sure it's just the meds. Right, yes, I'm sure it yeah. is the meds, and uh, we are now the most branded show since the Grand Prix, I think. So, um, and yet still, no food packages. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> so it's our Pride special. It is, what, yeah. What does Pride mean for you? Well, um, so this year, it's 51 years since Stonewall, um, and I think it's one of those years where you're very conscious that Stonewall was a riot and that at the heart of that riot were black trans women um, fighting alongside lesbians, fighting alongside gay men. Uh, and I guess when you reflect on what's happened since and, and, and even just recently, so in the last week or so, we've had you know, actually quite a surprising decision, I would say, from the Supreme Court of the United States of America, where they actually ruled that you couldn't discriminate, you couldn't fire someone for being lesbian or gay or bisexual or transgender. Now, considering the current administration in the US, that was a bit of a shock decision, but, you know, one that I heartily welcome. Um, and then there was also, uh, just a couple of days ago in Gabon, uh, the lower half of the parliament uh, actually voted down some uh, legislation which criminalized sexual acts between men. So you see these kind of wonderful examples of, you know, really positive progress. At the same time, you know, there was recent reports of uh, uh, LGBT refuge in Uganda being raided. Um, we still have 73 countries that criminalize sex between men or sex between women. Uh, we've seen trans rights being eroded in Hungary and Puerto Rico. Um, uh, in 
Poland. I was talking to a colleague in Poland just today, and he was talking about how the fear and the hatred of LGBT has been ramped up. And even here in the UK, we have real concerns about what's going to happen with the Gender Recognition Act. So what I would say is we have to remember that Stonewall is a riot and we need to hold on to that activism. We need to hold on to that fighting spirit because our rights and our equality are not safe. Yeah, absolutely. Gay rights. <laughs> absolutely. And have there been any stories uh, relating to that that's caught your attention recently? In AIDS map, you know, that great site for accurate news and information. Well, I mean, if, if we're going to talk about, I mean, I, I guess we've got to talk about COVID because, you know, it's this this is the the big thing that's gripping us and there was a, a study which uh, we reported on just recently uh, it was a survey of gay men hey gay rights um and uh in that survey which was done via dating it was people were recruited via dating apps um and it was about one in four gay men in that survey had had sex whilst under lockdown with a casual partner now that may sound a lot but as I say, people were recruited via dating app sites. So basically, people were on a site where people normally meet to hook up. And if only one in four of those people had, had actually hooked up during that period, then that's quite low. And half of those people had only hooked up with one person. Now, obviously, that's some greater risk than the government was advising. But, you know, we've, we've had kind of complicated messages from the government. I mean, Susan, do you, do you feel really clear on what the guidelines are right now? Well, it's something about... Uh, one meter plus. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and a little confusing. I mean, as a gay man, um, I think, uh, you know, considering how, how many gay men I know who seem to have no idea what eight inches looks like, um, I'm really quite <laughs> concerned that, you know, uh, that we're trusting them to judge what one meter or two meters looks like. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, think it, I think it's complicated. And I think, you know, that, that what we're going through at the moment is that process where we work out what we think is risky enough. And I guess for myself as a gay man, I think for lots of people who've been kind of, you know, living within living with HIV and living within that world, actually that that um that kind of determining what's safe enough and what is, you know, the, the best sex with the least harm. You know, in this case, what's the best socialization with the least harm? I mean, these these kind of harm reduction strategies and these risk minimization strategies have been a part of my life for so long that it's now interesting to see how the world adapts to all of that. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, absolutely. And if only we had an icon of um, the LGBT <laughs> community who can talk about some of these things. You know what? I think we may just have one of those. <laughs> I really hope we do. I think we may have more than one we of those. To, we may have three. <laughs> but first of all, I think we have Cecilia Chung um, joining us. Brilliant. Hello, Cecilia. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Hi Susan. Hi, now, Cecilia. You, you, were, you were the first transgender woman and the first Asian to be elected to lead the board of directors of the San Francisco Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual and Transgender Pride celebration. Is that right? Yes, that's kind of like prehistorical, I think. Um, <laughs> like 20 years ago, exactly. Yes. When you were a child, clearly. When I was a child, yes. <laughs> Um, Cecilia, I'm so glad you were able to come on. I, mean, I mentioned the, the Supreme Court decision uh, recently. What, was that a surprise for you? And do you think that's going to make a real difference to LGBT communities? Yes, I think that um, it's definitely a surprise, you know, like to um, 
see that decision coming from, you know, the current um, composition of the Supreme Court, but also the the Friday before, um, the Trump administrations also have announced, you know, like new rules um, to um, allowed, you know, like um, to give permissions to health facilities and establishment to discriminate against, you know, LGBT people and women, you know, simply based on religious belief. So I think that that's going to be, you know, a lot of work that we need to like sort out um, to figure out whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. Right. Mm. No, absolutely. And and Cecilia, I, it was incredible to see on TV, was it 15,000 people march for Black Trans Life uh, Matter? I, I know that Black trans people are just face such horrendous violence. How important um, is the movement, um, would you say? I would say that it is like absolutely crucial to see that kind of turnout um, because as you know, like the trans community is not really that large. So it really relies on allies um, and friends and families to show up, you know, to support us. Um, 15,000 is, yeah, is like history. I don't think that there's ever been any like trans event or rallies that have so big of a turnout. And it was fantastic because they all wore white. So it was such a striking <laughs> visual to, to see all these kind of people thronged. It was like it was like a Robert Zemeckis film. Um, <laughs> yeah, chances are most of them are heterosexual also. So like, yeah, and they're like chanting Black Trans Lives Matter. That's good on the straights. It's nice that they got something <laughs> right for a change. Um, <laughs> and, and yay, I, thanks. Yay, yay, Susan. Yeah, speak for your people. Um, but you, you've got, obviously, you've got, as you've admitted, you've got decades of HIV activism and LGBT activism under your belt. And we're seeing new civil rights movements really grow and flourish right now. Do you think there are lessons from HIV and LGBT activism that are going to be pertinent to Black Lives Matter? Um, I think that actually um, the you know Black civil rights movement have been like... Um, going on for a long time as well. I think that there's definitely things that we can learn from one another. Um, and I think that this is also a time to talk about intersectionality because, you know, like there are black LGBT community members, just like there are like black LGBT immigrants. Um, and so we can't just like compartmentalize issues anymore. And so we need to like build more solidarity across different movement. I think that this is one of those opportunity. Fabulous. I think so too. Cecilia, it's been such a joy to have you on the show. It's been really, really lovely to see you again. Thank you wonderful. for having me. Happy, Happy Pride. Yes. Happy Pride. Take care. Happy Pride. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, there's another news story which I think we have to talk about. Um, and that is that when we were last on the air, we were saying, well, there's been no evidence whatsoever that people with HIV um, are more likely to have a severe impact if they have uh, if they contract COVID. Now there is one study which has come out since then, which we've reported on on the AIDS Map site. Uh, it's mm -hmm. from South Africa. It's from the Western Cape region, um, and there they that saw that people with HIV in this particular cohort were two and a half times more likely to die than people without HIV. Now that association wasn't actually as strong with HIV as it was with other conditions, uh, such as diabetes, if they had 
uh, well-controlled diabetes, they were still four times more likely to die. And if they had uncontrolled diabetes, then it was a much, much greater risk. Um, I think that for me, this says a couple of things. One, it, it, this is, it's, it's evidence that the situation is evolving and we need to continue to look at the data to see what the risks are. Um, it's still a commonsensical assumption that people who've got well-controlled HIV uh, probably aren't at that much greater risk. And within this study, it didn't control for poverty and it didn't mm. control for smoking. And those are right. two big risk factors that we've seen elsewhere in the world. Um, so, you know, I think we, we've got to accept that there may be limitations to the data that we have in this case, but it does mean that we need to keep alert and need, oh, not wanting to use the government expression, doesn't mean it like that, but we need to keep alert and we need to remain engaged with the data so that we can accurately reflect what the risks are to people living with HIV, just as we would hope to accurately reflect what the risks are to all populations. Absolutely. And I know that um, black people living with HIV are particularly concerned because um, I know there was a, a study at King's, a very small study that showed that um, black people living with HIV um, were um, having a, a worse reaction um, to COVID. So hopefully we'll get some more data in relation to that. Yes. Right. And uh, talking of data, let's get on uh, Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis. Um, <laughs> I hope he's able to join us. Yes. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, Dimitri. Hi, Dimitri. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Happy Pride, Matthew and Susan. Happy, Happy Pride. Pride. Uh, now, uh, Dimitri, uh, I did tease you already before you joined the studio recording about your amazing <laughs> Instagram, but we'll get onto that later. Let's let's talk serious health <laughs> later. Stuff. Because later. you know, although you are, I, you I know, just have to compete world... with your amazing Twitter. <laughs> although you are a world famous uh, underwear model, um, <laughs> uh, you are also incredibly important, and you, know, you just you inspire me with your work in public health. You know, I think it's just incredible what New York City is producing. Now, obviously, New York was particularly badly hit by COVID. So, I mean, how is the city kind of responding to coming out of lockdown? I talked earlier about gay men in the UK and how kind of there was sex still going on but i think people are still very nervous how is it in new york you're a bit ahead of us yeah no i think i think that we're uh you know one of the jurisdictions in the u.s that's being extraordinarily cautious about leaving our lockdown with a very sort of slow tempered phase-wise approach but when it comes to sex we were really, uh, I guess, on the vanguard in New York City about putting out guidance around safer sex in the age of COVID. And, you know, as an important reference point, we really uh, used an HIV uh, milestone, a benchmark to create that guidance, which was the guidance that came out in 1983 during the beginning of the epidemic of HIV in New York City by the community, Michael Callan specifically of Callan Lord, a big clinic in New York City that focused on um, how to have say, uh, sex during uh, epidemic. And so we, we modeled after that and have really tried to evolve our messaging as the pandemic has evolved. So we started off pretty conservative ish saying that we that people should try to avoid hooking up but if they did some ideas of how to be safer but then we've really gotten to the point of saying like at this point with no end in sight in the pandemic we're assuming that people are going to have sex and so coming mm -hmm. up with strategies that will reduce harm from the COVID perspective while still maximizing uh, people's uh, desire for pleasure 
it's been really interesting. And also it's been like amazingly well received to sort of actually be like frank and open way different than the eighties. Uh, public health didn't, wasn't so frank and open. Um, it was, it's sort of refreshing to see what happens when we take a, a page out of the community book and try to do it ourselves. So it's been a great response in terms of strategies to maintain safety. So I mean, we're coming out of it. We're not out of the woods and we're like, we're watching our indicators like hawks. Yeah. Um, Dimitri, we've seen like shaming of people who aren't wearing masks. How effective do you think and like shaming is with in public health? Yeah, yeah. Ask the HIV guy that question, huh? <laughs> Completely useless. <laughs> shaming shaming just I mean, we know from HIV and from every other disease that that shame just drives things deeper underground. And so, you know, if you have someone not wearing a mask in a park, you have the opportunity to use a social distancing ambassador to actually hand them a mask. But if if the shame is so great that everything is pushed indoors, uh-oh, even worse, um, mm -hmm. and underground, then it, it all sort of falls apart so i think you know uh much like other protective equipment with other diseases um it's just protective equipment and so like the idea of shaming people not wearing it or actually shaming folks who aren't necessarily adhering to the letter of the law from the perspective of social distancing is only going to make it worse in fact we just released guidance around that too that has a whole section about not shaming people who are deciding to have social interactions since it's only human to actually want to interact in person um, so I think shame, it's not going to work for this either. Thank okay. you. Yeah. I mean, it's so important that we get that message out because I mean, it's very human to kind of want to criticize, especially if you've like kind of taking all the precautions yourself, but it isn't good public health. No. Now, there's one thing I've just got to ask you about because, you know, you you were awarded the Nasty Pig Hero Award. <laughs> and um, oh, coming and coming. <laughs> you know, so I just want to know, what, what does that particular honor mean to you? It just means that I was on a lot of people's email. Like, it was very sweet. So the, 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 the two gentlemen who owned that company um, during the darkest part of this pandemic were extraordinarily supportive of me. And actually, I talked to them a lot about the guidance that we were writing and so i think that they uh that that captured their imagination and there i am the first nasty pig hero well, <laughs> Yay! I, I, you, you you're always you're always my hero dimitri you're i'm your nasty pig so, hero <laughs> so, so, so great to talk to you Wonderful. thank you so much wait wait i got one more thing one more thing really important to watch this space because uh I, you know just one before i before you cycle me away we're doing a match in new york city of like people living with hiv and and the covid registries as well so i thought i hope someday soon matthew that and susan we're going to have some data around a really big experience because my my uh, assumption is that we've had a lot of folks with co-infection who have uh, made it through this pandemic so hopefully more to come from new york city on that as well I will be Brilliant. watching that for that data like a hawk. Thank you so much, Dimitri. Me too. <laughs> All strength Thanks to you and have much. a great pride. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh. So. He's so, he's so wonderful. He's so steamy hot. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, I but mean, Matthew, I think, did I see you in the independent newspaper by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah so so i was in, i was in an article about the sexual law of daddies okay <laughs>
<laughs> well, if we need to talk about that anymore, let's talk about health and, 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 and HIV <laughs> drugs and COVID. Because cause, cause, cause there's been a new paper that's just come out. And there's still, I, I hear this the whole time. People say, oh, well, I'm on PrEP or um, I'm living with HIV and I'm on HIV medication and I think it protects me. Um, mm-hmm. And the evidence base for this is so weak, so weak. Um, so I just, you know, so there's a new paper come out. We've just reported on it. Um, but it's all, there doesn't really seem to be that, that strength of evidence that says that HIV drugs do help against COVID. And so please, if you're on HIV drugs, whether for PrEP or for treatment, don't think that you're protected. Don't think that you're going to be immune. And don't think that you'll necessarily have a milder infection if you do get it. It's early days. We might find something later on. It's not new to repurpose drugs, but this just there isn't the data there yet. So mm-hmm. that's a little bit of health stuff for you there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, now let's, you. Let, let, let's get someone on the show who has been a complete hero who has changed the law. Jason Jones. Jason Jones. <laughs> Hello. Hi, everyone. Wonderful to have you. Is that a Trini flag I see behind you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and in front of you? Um, we have we have some people from Trinidad and Tobago watching, and I believe also a friend from Barbados. So we have a big Caribbean audience this afternoon. Wonderful. I'm, we- I'm wearing my Guyana bracelet, being yeah, the, cool. the hybrid Guyanese-Jamaican person that I am. So <laughs> wonderful. I- and as a nod to, to our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, I'm, wearing, I'm a tank top bum boy, proudly. <laughs> I'm delighted to see you absolutely fulfilling the stereotype. I think you know, everything that wise man says. <laughs> Jason, you have been my hero for ages. And I think it's absolutely extraordinary what you went through and what you achieved actually overturning the law in uh, in Trinidad and Tobago about criminalization um, of, um, of gay people. Is that yes. right? Yeah. Um, well, as a former colony of Britain, we had the old British colonial era buggery law, which, of course, was decriminalized in the United Kingdom in, in 1967, 68. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we had a, a very big constitutional challenge to remove the law because the the laws were protected under what is called a savings law clause and just couldn't be challenged. Very luckily, my legal team were able to find a a loophole in the law to be able to challenge it. And that was up to Peter Laverick, a young uh, gay uh, lawyer here in Britain. And um, yeah, we managed to do it. And interestingly enough, the law didn't only criminalize uh, consensual adult uh, same-sex intimacy between men. There was also another section within the Sexual Offences Act that criminalized acts of lesbianism between really? women. And uh, I challenged that as well. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm seen as an honorary lesbian in many quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And, and how have things been in, uh, in Trinidad and Tobago since? And the update? Well, I think I think uh, if you look online at the video, uh, the the celebration that happened on the steps of the court that day, um, from that moment, the trajectory has just been incredibly upwards. Three months later, they held the first ever Pride March, public Pride March down the streets, just in three months. I mean, that just shows you the power that something like that had. In fact, in the court judgment, Justice uh, Rampasar did 
see these laws as being the sort of Damocles hanging over the heads of LGBT people. And since then, the movement has moved enormously forward, so much so that a, a Domestic Violence Act, uh, an amendment was proposed to recognize same-sex relationships. Uh, that would have never happened before this judgment in 2018. So it's caused huge ripples in society. And when I go home now, um, I'm very honored to, you know, be, be met by people in the street seeing me as a hero for the nation. Oh, you Wonderful. are a hero. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting because, I mean, obviously a lot of the homophobic legislation all around the world yeah. is actually a remnant from our colonial past. And I think it's, you know, at the moment we're going through a process of confronting our colonial past and um, the ramifications of that are huge. Uh, I think it's fantastic that you, well, I mean, it's such an honor to have you on the show for what you've done, for what you've achieved. And not only that, I, I hear you've been raising funds to support trans and HIV positive people who've been hit by COVID in Trinidad and Tobago. So how, how much, how, how much, what's, what's the goal? What's the target here? Well, I, I, I'm based in London and I go backwards and forwards, but um, I saw somebody from Pakistan, resident in London, they did a Just, uh, just Giving crowdfunding campaign for trans people in Pakistan. So I reached out to a fantastic trans woman who is head of the Trans Tobago Trans Coalition, Brandy Rodriguez. I said, Brandy, you know, can I do something like that for you? What, what can I do to assist? And in conversation with her and members of the United Caribbean Trans Network, I found out that things were incredibly difficult for trans people. Over 90% of trans women in Trinidad and Tobago are sex workers, and over 50% of those sex workers are HIV positive. And of course, through COVID-19 and the lockdown, they were not able to earn their crust of bread. And of course, many of them have been excommunicated from family. Many don't have friends. Many are refugees from Venezuela. So I had to uh, broaden the whole scope of my assistance. I reached out to Frontline AIDS, a fantastic organization based here in the United Kingdom who have assisted me in the past. And I said to them, listen, you know, we have this problem. How can we help? And uh, we, we managed to raise 16,500 US dollars, which is a huge, huge, <laughs> huge sum. And over the last month, the program has already started. Over the last month, we have led over 35 people to food, um, paid partial rents, spoken to the landlords so they're not made homeless, and navigated them back onto HIV medication because many of them couldn't get to their clinics. And th this has now blossomed into a three-year program called PATN, P-A-T-N. And PATN is going to be looking at, at HIV-positive people in Trinidad and Tobago and navigating them back onto full adherence to medication so they can fulfill the U equals U and hopefully bring down infection rates. Unfortunately, the Caribbean is the region second highest in the world for HIV infection rates. We are only second to sub-Saharan Africa. So it's a very serious situation there. And the correlation between criminalization and HIV infection is huge. In countries that criminalize, one in four MSMs are HIV positive. In countries that don't criminalize, the figure drops to one in 15. So there's a direct correlation between these discriminatory laws, even though they are not actually enforced, and higher infection rates, uh, higher HIV infection rates. Absolutely. Oh. Thank you so much, Jason. You're doing such extraordinarily important work and I'm so proud of you. 
Thank you. Well, we're about to launch a new human rights organization that will be based in Trinidad and Tobago. I've had this dream for four years now, and it's finally come to fruition. Um, The organization will be based in Trinidad and Tobago, and it will look at all human rights. What people have to realize is uh, all of these things, as Cecilia said earlier on, are interconnected. All discrimination comes from, from from the same place. So the organization will look at all human rights. We'll be looking at women, gender based violence. We'll be looking at children, we'll be looking at refugees. We have over 50,000 refugees who have come to our shores for safety. And we'll also have international desks. We will have desks in London, Toronto, New York City, and Miami, where there are large Caribbean populations. Again, there are over close to a quarter of a million uh, people from the Caribbean region who live outside of the region. So that's a that's an untapped group of people that can be helping this work happen back in, in the Caribbean. So uh, I'm very proud to announce that uh, they, they have uh, named the organization after me, which is a huge honor. <laughs> I'm very, very, very thrilled. It's called the Jason Jones People's Foundation. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's only fitting, Jason. You've, you've absolutely earned it. <laughs> We, we have to wrap up because I'm, I'm getting messages from the studio, but it's been such an honor to have you on the show. The Jason oh, Jones yeah. Foundation, is it? We will be looking out yeah. for it. Have a brilliant <laughs> Thank ride. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jason. I can't believe we've run out of time. It, was, it goes like nothing. Where, where does the time go? <laughs> I know. We're going to have a little bit of a break, but we will be back in two weeks' time with aids map live with me um not not you not Not, you're going to be behind the scenes (laughs) but we're going to be focusing on the world's largest hiv uh, conference aids 2020 and with guests chatting about the uh the most important news stories from there so do join us then yeah, that's going to be fantastic. I want to thank everyone who's been on the show. So Cecilia, Dimitri, Jason, all the crew at Disruptive. Susan, you're a goddess as always, and I've really missed this. So have a brilliant pride, everybody. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Gay rights. And that's it for this broadcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please help us spread the word. Please do rate and review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, via Apple, Acast, iTunes or Spotify. We hope you'll tune in again when we come back.